Now, this morning, we're going to jump into John chapter 1. We are continuing our series on Live Like Jesus, and uh, the last several weeks, we have been concentrating on the first area uh, that Jesus exemplified from Luke chapter number 2. We launched the series five weeks ago with Luke 2, and we saw three ways that the boy child Jesus exemplified of a way in his life of how he would live, and uh, that was relationally, intentionally, and missionally. And so for the last four weeks, we've been concentrating on this relational aspect. Today, we'll conclude uh, that aspect of the relational side of living like Jesus. And then next week, we'll continue the series by looking into the intentional part of living like Jesus, what he did intentionally uh, through his life here on earth. Now, I want to tell you a little story to kind of start off with about when I was, uh, when I was a little boy growing up, we used to take dominoes. And uh, we, would, we would take these dominoes and we would stack them up one right after another. I think we've got an example on the board, Carlos. And uh, how many of you have ever done this to dominoes before? Raise your hand. All right. So you'd stack them up carefully one right after another. We'd do different turns, different patterns, different obstacles. And then once we finally got all of them set up, we would look at each other and we'd say, all right, ready? Three, two, one. And somebody would take their foot next to set up a bunch of dominoes, push them over, and watch the effect. Now... It actually, it, I don't know if you know this, but there is a domino day, not for domino pizza, but a domino day, November 13th, every year. So in 2009, Guinness World Book of Records uh, had the, the biggest amount, the largest amount of dominoes that were set up. 89 people gathered in the Civic Center in Netherlands, and they set up, 89 people set up over 4 million. I'll give you the total. It was 4,491,863 dominoes. And they set them all up, and then finally somebody had the opportunity to topple the first one and watch them all come piling down. Now, I found a video I was going to show you. It's 14 minutes long, so I said, oh, we probably shouldn't watch the video of the domino effect. Although some of you are like, hey, I'll just pull that YouTube, you, you know, drown you out, I'll just watch the domino effect, right? Don't do that. Um, but when we think of that, now, I didn't really realize as a, as a child growing up that dominoes were really actually for other games, so I always thought that they were just for what you see on the board, like set them up, tear them down, do it again. But I guess there's games, like how many of you like Mexican Train? Anybody play Mexican Train, all right? You're 65 and older, Mexican Train, all right? Um, <laughs> chicken Foot, anybody play Chicken Foot? Can I get it? Woohoo! That'll make you seem young, all right? Woohoo! Chicken Foot! Okay, three of you. All right, okay. So um, then there's other games that you play with dominoes that I guess are really fun. Well, that'll come one day. Um, so, but when I think about this domino effect... You say, what, what, what's the deal with domino effect? Well, it kind of gives us a little bit of the thought about where we're going to go in our text with John chapter 1. Because this domino effect is a, it's a cumulative effect that is produced when one event sets off a chain of similar events. We know what a domino effect is. And so when we see this, we're going to pick up in John chapter 1 in the latter part. Now, before we read it, let me kind of catch us up to speed about what's going on. John chapter 1, verse, I think we're going to look at verse 35 through 42. John the baptizer, his ministry is in full motion. He has come as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He has come proclaiming the message that there is a Messiah, a Christ, a Redeemer, our Rescuer is coming. And he says, prepare the way for this one. And so John the baptizer now has accumulated disciples who are following him each and every day. They're watching him baptize in the Jordan River. And they realize that there's something very special about his message. There is something that people will travel from all over the region in Israel just to hear this message. And when they would hear the message, 
they would repent and be baptized. So there were two disciples that John is recording in this passage that while they're following John the baptizer, all of a sudden John catches everybody off guard with a very shocking announcement. As he's in the Jordan River, he points and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's attention is like, is this the moment? Is this the one? Because John, foretelling all of what is going to take place with the Messiah, has now said, everything we've been talking about, here it is in front of you. And so two disciples of John the baptizer named Andrew and John, John the beloved who wrote this gospel, Gospel of John, they see and meet this Jesus. And there's something that is going to be very transformed. He says again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, John the baptizer said, behold the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? Well, they said unto him, Rabbi, which is say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it is about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Here it is, verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being... Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas which is by interpretation, a stone. So this morning we look at this text and we really look at some very interesting, intricate parts of what is being taught here in these verses. There's a lot that we could dig into, but there's one thing that I want to focus in on, and that's verse number 41. Because verse 41, this new follower of Jesus, Andrew, is going to cause a great domino effect. This great domino effect, which if you remember, the domino effect is a cumulative effect produced when one event sets off a chain of similar events. Keep that in mind as we study Andrew. And the message I've entitled is Relational Strangers. I'll explain more as we dig in. Father, we put our full dependency on your Holy Spirit's leading in this moment together. As a family unit, we have gathered to worship you. And now, which is custom, we open our, our Bibles, we engage our minds, and we soften our hearts to hear from you. I ask that today would not just be customary, but that it would be engaging and be a moment of conviction. Lord, there's always areas in our life that we need to take extra push and a little... There's areas in our life where we need to evaluate there's times when we need a little push and a little fire. So how will you work today, God? We will be sure to glorify you for that. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know your personal, your, your son in a very personal relationship, we would ask that you would draw them to yourself, convict their heart, and that they would meet Jesus today. So we'll thank you for this privilege and opportunity to be your messenger. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, John the baptizer was thrilled and happy anytime his disciples turned away from him in order to follow Jesus. In John chapter number 3, many of the disciples of John the baptizer are going to run to him and say, hey, John, good night, what's going on? You're in prison, and this Jesus is upriver. He's teaching and baptizing, and people are following him. I can almost picture John the Baptist with a thumbs up saying, 
in verse number 30, he must increase, I must decrease. So John had been preparing the way for this handoff. He had been preparing the way for people to start following Jesus. And this one follower recorded in these verses, Andrew, is going to be a very special one with this domino effect. Because Andrew, though he's only mentioned 12 times in the Bible, and he really doesn't even account for a dynamic sermon. We don't know of any dynamic messages that he proclaimed. Uh, We don't see any miracles that he performed, nor do we hold in our hands any letter or book that he wrote so that we could read today. Uh, That was not Andrew. But what we find with Andrew is a very important ministry. That was the ministry of bringing. And if Andrew had not done his ministry of bringing, we would not have the ministry of a Peter doing the preaching. And then if Peter Peter had not done the message or the ministry of preaching, there had not been a day of Pentecost with 3,000 plus being saved. There had not been a a group of men called out for deacons and a man by the name of Stephen. A man by the name of Stephen who would become the first martyr because he proclaimed the truth of the gospel and religious leaders hated it. And they would gather outside the city gates after Stephen with boldness proclaimed truth and they wanted to pummel him with stones. And there was a rascal named Saul who would hold the jackets with the final nod and say, kill this man. While Stephen was being killed, He would cry out to God, forgive these men. No doubt those words would have been something piercing even into the heart of a cruel man like Saul. For it would not be long before he would encounter a personal time with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when he encountered that moment on the road to Damascus, Jesus changed and transformed his life. Paul then became a missionary planting churches from place to place. And while he and Silas were in prison because took out his sword, I'm ending my life because this is a disaster. Paul and Silas said, hold on, wait. And they were able to proclaim truth and love of Jesus to a Philippian jailer who then trusted Christ as his savior and then became a whole household of people, a wife, a son, a daughter, the Philippian jailer's household Well, their life were transformed too. Do you think Andrew knew the Philippian jailer? Do you think Andrew knew the household of the jailer? I don't think he did. That's where we get relational strangers. The domino effect is incredible as we find, but it had to start with a very insightful, precious moment for Andrew, and that's where we see in our text today. So I want you to look at Andrew's incredible example Because right away in verse number 41, we see his priority. It says, he first. So Andrew had a desire, just like John, the beloved, to learn, and he was committed to finding the truth. And so when Jesus responded by telling them to come and see, Jesus was not telling them, come and see where I'm going to camp out tonight. Jesus was telling them, come and see the insightfulness and find the heart and mind of God the Father. And so Jesus invites them to come. And what they were really looking for was something that was happening now. They were going to discover truth for firsthand. We ask ourselves, what are we searching for? You know, we're in a a time and a culture and a society where it's not just the unrighteous or the unsaved that are unfortunately looking and searching for the wrong things. But even within the body of Christ, many people are searching for a sense of security apart from God and his bride, the church of Christ. 
Many people have this individualistic mindset. It's not the church's business of my problems in my life. It's, it's not the church family's problem of what I'm facing. It's, it's all me. And, and so we, we, we separate ourselves from the body of Christ. Sometimes we even sacrifice the body of Christ for other endeavors in our life. And, and we, we make it, we, we feel good about it because it causes us to feel useful and secure. So what are you searching for today? A sense of security? If you're looking for security, what, in what elements are you looking for in your career? Maybe your financial por portfolio? Maybe relationships that you have here on earth? Maybe your identity, your accomplishments? Maybe your own knowledge? All of that gives you confidence and security, but that's going to be a false sense of security. So what are you searching for? Some people are searching for peace, and so they're going to put, try to put all the pieces in their proper order, and they say, if I can do X, Y, Z, I will have this peace because of what I am able to do. And again, it will always fall short. So Andrew and John, who have heard truth from John the baptizer, they're still searching for more. They want something that's going to give them true peace, true security. And they find that in this quick relationship, in this, in this brief moment with Jesus, that is going to turn into something even greater. So Jesus was inviting them to discover the mind and purpose of God. And John and Andrew in the text met Jesus at 4 p.m., the 10th hour, and so after spending the rest of the day with Jesus in the evening, we find that the next day, Peter immediately goes because there's something exciting that he wants to share with other people. Now, what recent news have you heard or recent information? What intel or data do you have that you just can't wait to tell other people? Uh, I was reminded this week for Valentine's Day and uh, Bailey is a, is a gift giver and just really loves participating in that. And so for Valentine's Day, she had bought me a little gift and she had bought Brooklyn a little gift and she was still trying to get mom a little gift. And so Wednesday night, the night before Valentine's gift, I mean, she's had it for a week and a half. So she's like, it's, it's time to give this gift. And so I was sitting down waiting and she's like, okay, daddy, close your eyes and hand, put your hand out. And so here, okay, what is it? And she puts in my little hand this package of three chocolate golf balls. So she was grinning ear to ear. I didn't have the heart to tell you, honey, I just started keto diet five days ago. I can't do this. I said, oh, look at this. This is the coolest thing. These are golf balls made out of chocolate. She's beaming, you know, ear to ear. She's just loving life. She's like, want to give me a big hug and a peck on my cheek. And daddy, I love you. Oh, I love you too, honey. And then, you know, we didn't have conversations. She's got something else on her mind. Okay, that's good, daddy. And she runs off and with Brooklyn's gift. She just couldn't wait. She wanted Brooklyn, her sister, to experience this moment of her love and giving her a gift. And so she would do the very same thing with Brooklyn. I remembered in that encounter that, you know, for us, when we encounter a moment like that with Jesus, we want to share it with somebody. Amen. Have you ever been done with your Bible study and you're like, I just, I got to share this with somebody. This is what God is teaching me. This is what is helping me. This is what is encouraging me. I was preparing this week for the call to worship in, in Psalm 103, and I was like, I just want to share this. I'm, I'm ready to shout the, the proclamation. I knew that 10,000 Reasons was going to just come right behind that proclamation, and I was just excited to share that with someone. 
We know what that's like to have news to share, something of God's goodness. We remember this encounter with Jesus that we had and we want others to know about it. But now when we see this opportunity with these two men, we must understand that this is not the call to discipleship. In Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, is going to be recorded when Peter and Andrew are with their dad, and they are on their boat, the fisherman boat. That's when Jesus would walk by and say, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this moment is not a call to discipleship. It's a call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a, it is the moment of Andrew and John's conversion, their salvation. That's what is so exciting for Andrew to share. So now notice that his priority focused him on his target. His target is his own brother. He first findeth his own brother. Now these men, they would have had a close relationship as brothers. In the ancient Mediterranean family value system, the relationship was the, that was the closest and the most intimate relationship was not the marriage relationship. Study a Mediterranean value system in, in families. You would find that it was actually sibling with sibling. And you think about that even as the New Testament unfolds. You see James and John, the sons of Zebedee, always together. You would find Mary, Martha, Lazarus living in the same house with their families. This was a, a close-knit group. It was not just a bunch of singles who couldn't make it out on, in, on their own living together. These were families who were bonded together, sibling with sibling. So this was certainly going to be a very natural target for Andrew. His brother was of top priority for him. It was his target he was going to go after. And we're going to find later in our study of Live Like Jesus is that Jesus was calling people to follow him to a new group. The family unit in the Mediterranean family value system was solid and strong. And you would find that Jesus is now going to go against that with a very radical way of following. He is calling for peoples to make a priority of God's family before, uh, uh, before personal family. And say, well, why would that be? Because the family of God becomes brothers and sisters in Christ that grow together, encourage one another. And if you uh, are married to a sister in Christ, uh, that your, your wife, your husband is, is also a believer, well, then you're a part of that family unit that is also growing together. And so Jesus is going to call them to this new surrogate family to follow after discipleship. He's going to call them to a family of God unit that they will follow after. And so remember that your call to follow Christ is not a task to do as a lone ranger approach. Too many Christians are trying to do the Christian journey on their own. And they think, I, I don't want to bother anybody. Um, I, I don't want to burden someone. I don't want to weigh them down. This is my problem. This is my issue. But as you study the New Testament and you see the body of Christ unfold in front of your eyes of how Jesus designed it, in Acts chapter 2, they would all sell their own goods and possessions for the betterment, not of all society, but for the betterment of the church body, for the family of Christ. People would give of their time, their resources, they would give of their all for the betterment of the church body. And so we can't go at this alone. We can't live in isolation and not be bothered. We cannot be focused on our individualistic ways and desires we're a part of a family that is giving guidance and wisdom and growth with one another. So though Andrew would not know it at this time, 
his actions would ignite Peter's journey into something that would be phenomenal all through history. You see, Andrew went after his brother and brought him to Jesus. And we just encountered this domino effect of what is going to happen. Andrew didn't preach dynamic sermons, but Peter did. Andrew didn't perform miracles through God's work. No, but Peter did. Andrew didn't write some letters that we would hold in our hand to read and study and apply, but Peter did. So we find here that his target, his brother, what was it that Andrew told him? Well, we see here, we have found the Messiah. Here's his declaration. Because of the time that Andrew and John spent with Jesus, they were convinced of his true identity. You see, this does not mean, though, that they had fully understood the complete implications of what all of this meant, this whole Jesus uh, messiahship. But what they would begin to understand is that they were going to encounter a journey that they would begin to learn about what Jesus' messiahship really looked like. And so this is going to be the beginning works. These are the beginning moments, and they are going to learn and how to know him more. We ask ourselves that same question. How do we know God more in our life? How can I know him in a very intimate and passionate way? With Valentine's Day, Natalie and I went out on Thursday night, and over dinner we were thinking back at some of our memories of 18, 20 years of Valentine's Day together. I was reminding her about the class I skipped at uh, university, Bob Jones University, so that I could take the thing. But we, uh, we went out on Valentine's Day night. We would go to a friend's house of some staff members and, and have fun. And, and then we would laugh because I was so corny back then. But back then, I'm not corny today, okay? So I was so corny back then in some of the things that I would do and, and uh, some of the things I'd have a chauffeur pick her up from her dorm and he had a, a little tape thing. That's before anything digital. And she'd play that and it was my voice coming over, welcoming her, greeting her, telling her about the evening. And they'd pull her up into the place. I'd open the door, and there it was, this beautiful dinner that friends had set up with, uh, you know, fun things. And again, remember, corny days. So, uh, so what ended up happening, though, is we're laughing. Now, she laughed a lot more about it on Thursday night than I did. I don't understand why she was laughing so hard. But when we were remembering those moments, then we just started to talk about how we began to, to learn each other and uh, how we uh, would write letters to each other and how we would find out more about each other, how, the things we like, the things we don't like, where we're from, what's our family like. And we just talked about those things. It was, I was just reminded about how on November 18th, 2000, no, not 2000, 1998, I didn't know very much about her. I didn't know anything really about her except for when I saw her on campus, I said, whoa, hello, lady. And I said, <laughs> I would like to have a moment to get to know her. And if she has 10 minutes with me, I've got her hooked, is what I thought. <laughs> now if she tells me. And, uh, and, and so throughout that process, I tell you what, though, it was a learning process for both of us. Now here's the beauty of it. God is not hard to catch. That personal relationship that we have in him, with him is just this open relationship that we come to learn more about him. It's a longing within us. There were nights on campus that I would say goodbye to her. She'd go to her dorm. I'd have to walk over to my dorm and the whole time thinking about the next moment I'd get to be with her, talk to her, and tell her more about who I am. But you know what? That should still be the same longing that we have within us to know our God. Knowing that there's a yet another moment where I can open his word and read and, and be personally affected so that I can take steps of growth. 
See, in this way of knowing God, it's, it's, it's this way of, of growing. And a- Andrew and John are going to encounter that. And because they have experienced Jesus as the Messiah, they, Andrew's going to go and proclaim. He says, we have found the Messiah. Now understand, there's a group around him that thinks, you're a kook, you're crazy, you're just a lowly, poor fisherman, and you think that you have discovered the Messiah? That you think you have discovered the one we have been waiting for? Now remember, John explains here in the Hebrew word with Messiah in order for his Greek readers to be able to understand what he's saying. Now Messiah and Christ are the same word. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. They both mean anointed one. And this in the ancient world was was still the case with the the British monarchy and just like it is today that they would anoint the new king. And and this was still the picture that you would find in the ancient times in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And so there was this moment of the anointed one, the new king. You're talking about the one who has come to rescue us. Now, remember, the Jews were hoping for a rescue uh, in the government realm. They were hoping that somebody would come to free the Jews from the Roman rule and empire. And so when they looked at Jesus, they would worship him. They would bow down. They would try to put him on the throne. And Jesus said, my time is yet to come. Jesus knew that he was not come to be the king in a ruling way, but to to come to, to be the sacrifice to give himself as that offering. And so think for a moment who... The Andrew was in your life, who poured into you, who told you that the Messiah has come. Who's your Andrew? For me, it was a Miss Finnamore after growing up in a Christian home and, and learning about Jesus and then hearing about Jesus and his saving grace week after week in junior church. I'll never forget that day in, in uh, a little South Hope, Maine, in a little country church, staying after junior church and, and, and praying with my teacher that day, trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, beginning that relationship with him. I just think of other Andrews in my life who have brought me to a place of investing me in Jesus, bringing me to Jesus to know Jesus more. Who's your Andrew? But then the question also becomes is, who calls you their Andrew. Are you causing a domino effect? Like who is it that you are pouring into? The Messiah has come. Come, you have got to meet him. So here we find that the scope, his target to declare the Redeemer's love. Everyone in here can influence somebody. Everybody in here is an influence. doesn't matter what age you are, from the youngest to the oldest, and everybody in between, we are all an influence in somebody's life. For some of you, you have more opportunities to influence. To whom much is given, much shall be required. But time frame is short. Sometimes the understand that God wants to use you. Sometimes the time frame is short. Sometimes the time frame will be longer. But understand that you may be the only gospel that somebody sees or hears played out in their life. And you'll give an account for that opportunity. And what will you say about that? Are you going to be an Andrew that begins or does your very best through the power of God to, to start the domino effect? Or are you going to be so individually focused that you don't want to be a part of something that God wants to use you to do to influence somebody? So you may find here this last part is his motivation that he brought him to Jesus. This would be a pattern in Andrew's life. We do not know much information about Andrew. As I said, he's only mentioned 12 times in the Bible. But the little that we do know perfectly paints his character. 
There are two things that Barclay uh, showed us in a book of his of, of two outstanding characteristic traits of Andrew. Here's what he wrote. Number one, Andrew was characteristically the man who was prepared to take second place. When you think about Andrew, he's always being identified as Simon Peter's brother. I mean, that's like his tagline. They say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm Simon Peter's brother. Oh, good. Yeah, I know who you are. And that was his tag. I mean, that was who he was, but he was always taking second place. Think about this. Andrew was not a part of the inner circle. Peter, James, John. I mean, you got two brothers, James and John. John would have been one of the guys that with Andrew who met Jesus first. Andrew was the one who went and told uh, Peter. Andrew may have thought in his own self, you know, hey, Jesus, why, why are you taking those guys up on the mountain for this transfiguration? Andrew. Andrew was not concerned about the limelight. Andrew was not concerned about the recognition. Andrew was not concerned about the pat on his back. Andrew had a lot of clout. Here he's one of the very first ones that Jesus brings to relationship to him and one that does something about it. Andrew starts a major domino effect, but he's going to always push his brother Peter to the limelight. He would humbly and loyally and ungrudgingly take second place. But then another thing about Andrew that we should mimic is that Andrew is characteristically the man who was always, always introducing others to Jesus. You see it in your notes, John chapter 6, 8, and 9. He brought a young boy to Jesus in the middle of a large crowd. It was Andrew also with Philip in John chapter 12 who would bring a group of Greeks to the Lord because they were wanting to find this true redeemer. Then you would see that Eusebius, 4th century historian, he would say that Andrew carried the message of Christ to the barbaric tribes of Scythia, modern-day southern Russia, and then Fox's Book of Martyrs records that Andrew preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations and actually gave his life as a martyr for the gospel. Andrew was crucified on an X cross, and he would always be remembered in that way. And so Andrew, his motivation was to bring others to Jesus. He stands out as a man whose one desire was to share the wonder of the Messiah, he is the man with a missionary's heart. Having himself found the friendship of Jesus, he spent all of his life introducing others to that very friend as well. That was Andrew. Domino effect Andrew. Andrew is our great example in that he could not keep Jesus to himself. He had to tell others and bring them to Jesus. Now, how does this flush out as living like Jesus? When I studied this passage, I thought, boy, there's, there's no greater example of someone that close to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry that we should exemplify as well as Andrew. Andrew met Jesus personally, but then he did something about that. You see, souls that are looking for Jesus will always find Christ to be receptive. John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So here's what we see with Andrew's ministry of being a relational stranger. Remember the flow. Jesus to Andrew to Peter to Stephen the deacon to Saul who became Paul 
to the jailer and to the jailer's whole household. This was a man that was going to cause the domino effect. Watch this video. Let's be reminded of the impact we too can make. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas, on Uncommon Joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Hmm. My prayer would be that God would use us to make an eternal impact in lives but it starts in the immediate. Who's going to tip over that first domino? Who in here wants to be a part of the domino effect? Who in here will be a relational stranger? Let's live like Jesus. Father, 
I thank you for the Andrews in my life. And I thank you for calling me in my Christian walk to be an Andrew. Lord, it's not about the limelight. And it is being eagerly and excited, ready to tell others to come to meet Jesus. So God, I would pray that you would work in our hearts. We'd find ourselves to be that domino effect in somebody else's life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, Christian, church, family, how has God dealt in your heart? We all can label an Andrew in our life. We're thankful for them. But today, are we willing to say, God, make me an Andrew? God, prepare me to tip the domino. Allow me to be that relational stranger that only on the other side of eternity will I ever know the impact you will make through my passion to tell about you. So church, it's not about waiting on the other side of eternity. It is about being active in the now, in the today. There are Nates all out of there who need you to impact a Kim, first of all. Church, will you rise up to that opportunity? Will we join together in a unified heart that says, God, use me in that domino effect? Today, if God has challenged in your heart, convicted you of one way or another that just has set inside of you a good reminder or a new challenge, a refreshment, a refuel, something that recharges you to move forward, would you join in me by just committing yourself and saying, Pastor, that's me today. Boy, I'm, I'm thinking about the people in my life who I can be an Andrew to. With great passion, the priority will lead me to my target. And that target is going to be one that God shows me so that I can give the declaration that I have met Jesus and I want you to meet him too. And the motivation comes that you want to be a part of God's work through the domino effect. Would you raise your hand today and say, Pastor, that's me today. I join collectively in prayer asking God to commit me to that service that I can be an Andrew in somebody's life today. There are many of you that are joining me in that prayer. I want to be an Andrew. God, bring them into my pathway. Help me not to be self-centered, self-focused, and, and only concerned about my own needs, but help me to see what is around me and the people in my life that I can impact through the power of the gospel. One more time, we raise our hands. Leave your hand in the air. Father, you see us right now. I come before you as a needy soul who needs your encouragement and boldness and empowerment from the Holy Spirit that says, Peter, keep your eyes open to the people who sway. And so, Father, not only me, but many hands in the air now making that same proclamation that they too commit themselves to this today. It's not all about what will happen on the other side of eternity for our labor and for our reward. It's in the immediate and now that we find our target and motivation to declare the truth. So, Father, thank you for using us in spite of us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and hands down, I ask this last question. Sir, ma'am, you're here today. We've used terminology like a relationship with Jesus Christ, family of God, unified in spirit and mind, showing people the Messiah and the rescuer and the redeemer. And, and, and you may be thinking, what in the world are, are all these terms and names and phrases all about? 
What you have encountered today is a family unit that is, in, is, is living passionately for Jesus Christ. They have relationships with Jesus Christ that are living and breathing. They're making decisions each and every day to be more like Jesus and to know him in a more personal way. And so what you've encountered today is a group of what you call, we call Christians, Christ followers. But that's because they came to a point in their life where they took ownership of their sin. They confessed that before an almighty God and they said, God, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I can do nothing in myself. I am desperate, hopeless, and needy, and I need you. And our prayer this morning before we even came to this worship service was that God would draw men to himself and that his Holy Spirit would convict in your heart. What that means is that if there's been something inside of you throughout the last 35, 40 minutes that has said, ooh, that's not me. Ooh, I'm not a part of some family. Oh, I'm not a part of a redeemer. I've never had this rescuer. You're searching for peace, security, and hope and in things that are just going to ultimately be empty. And so if that's you today, I want to share Jesus with you. Because Jesus loves you so much that he gave himself on a cross for you. And when he gave himself on the cross, he took away the sins of the world and that he did this so that whoever would call on him would find salvation. When they took Jesus off that cross, they buried him in a tomb. That burial became clear evidence that Jesus died. He didn't pass out. He was not in some coma. He had gave up the ghost. And when they placed his body in that tomb, three days later, just as he had said, he came back to life with victory over death, over sin, over the devil. Then he ascended back to heaven to prepare a place for you, if you'll put your trust in him, for me. Because some 35 years ago, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you today, you'd say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. If I die today, I'm not a part of this body of Christ. I'm not a part of some family. Uh, if I die today, I don't know what reason I would give God why I should enter all of heaven's glory. But I'm willing to be prayed for which means all I'm going to simply do is say thank you when you raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you in, in a very general way. I'm going to ask God to continue to work in your heart and give you boldness that you'll find more answers to that eternal security. So if that's you today, would you just quietly raise your hand? Peter, that's me today. If I die today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. That concerns me. I don't know my eternal destination. Life on earth is short. I just did a funeral of a 29-year-old man yesterday. We are not promised tomorrow. And so life is short. Are you prepared for what's on the other side of eternity? Nobody raising their hand. That means by your testimony today, you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then followers of Jesus Christ, may we arise to the challenge that says, let's go from here, live like Jesus, and be Andrews today.